I would tell you guys that um, be careful about being a communicator or a preacher or a pastor or somebody in that kind of role because oftentimes God will put you in the scenario that you are preaching on, and it's usually not very comfortable. And oftentimes with me, he will do it not two months before, but he'll do it the week of or three days before. And so um, when Paul and I were praying in the back, we were just talking about uh, I'll probably be preaching this message to myself. If you all want to leave now, you can, and I still would uh, would preach it. Um, and everybody that we think about in the Bible that is used of God, we always think about the end game. We think about the end story. We, we, we love how they were rulers. We love how they were victors. We love how they helped people cross the Red Sea. But oftentimes we don't really think about the things that preceded their victories, the thing that preceded them being a hero, the things that preceded these amazing stories that we know in the Bible. And if we actually were to rewind their story, we would all of a sudden find out that these guys were in a, a bit of a mess in life. You would find out that they weren't always victors. As a matter of fact, the world would probably look at them as losers. As a matter of fact, many of us would look at them and say, how in the world did you get from point A to Z when your life was so messed up? And if you are a type A person in here and this room was a big fat mess, you would walk in and you wouldn't have peace until this room was cleaned up. You would immediately start tidying it up. You would find a broom. You would put the chairs in order. And then you'd say, oh, it is well with my soul. Some of us, we wouldn't really care, and we just want to talk to our neighbor. But I think a lot of times in our life, spiritually, emotionally, and physically, God has us in these places where we feel like we're a hot mess, and we immediately want to clean it up. And in doing so and cleaning up, we miss out on the process of how God wants to get us from the mess to the message. And so tonight, we're going to talk about that through the eyes of a gentleman named Joseph. Anybody ever heard of Joseph in the Bible? Okay, yep, yep, yep. Joseph in the code of many... There you go. All right. We're off to a good start. So we're going to read some scripture tonight infused with some thoughts. And, and here we go. So we know that Joseph was loved by his, uh, his father. It says that he was one of the most favorite of the sons. And when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him. I'm kind of around Genesis chapter 37. Joseph then had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. And he said to them, listen to this dream I have. Little Joseph is super excited about this. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose up and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. You can, of course, imagine that the brothers were super excited about this dream and them bowing down to their younger brother. No, they were not. A lot of times when God imparts words to us or he gives us wisdom or he gives us this exciting revelation where there's a prophetic word that we'll receive so many times we're like god thanks i got it and then we go off and we run when he's like hold up wait a minute i i didn't you didn't even wait for the timing of that word you didn't even wait for the timing of when i said for you to approach that person in relationship you, you wait you didn't even wait for the timing of that job yes i said that's your job but i I didn't really say right now, I was talking about six months from now. I wonder how many times in our life we're, we're just, we go to God as like the, give me the ticket, and then we quickly run, and God is like, wait a minute, you're not even ready for what you're going to get because you've already gone ahead of me. And that's what Joseph was doing. God revealed this ridiculous, incredible dream connected to his destiny, but there were so many things that Joseph had to go through in order to get that. So many times, because we want to skip our mess, if you guys are anything like me, and like I said, I'm, I'm preaching to myself, and I've tried to skip my mess about 29,000 times, and God's like, oh, let's come right back to the same thing. As I, I wasn't ready enough. See, I was in the mess, but I wasn't ready for the message that he wanted me to carry. 
the message that was unique to my life. I wasn't seasoned enough. And, and a lot of times God will tell you, give you something, a message that's it's kind of empty until you have the experience. You know, it's one thing for me to talk to someone about a divorce and, and the pain of that and, and how hard that is. But once I've walked through it, there's a different power. There's a different anointing. There's a different knowledge that I have that I carry. And I could go on and on and on about different scenarios. My wife and I, and some of you guys know this, we've lost a child. And so when we lost our son 15 years ago. And people, when people go into hospitals, we all want to say the right thing and, and we want to serve. But fortunately, unfortunately, we are qualified in a different way because of losing a child. So when we step into a scenario where someone has just lost a child or their child is sick, because we've walked through that mess, our message carries a different anointing and a different power. Here's another thing before we move on. God will reveal things to you, not necessarily because he wants you to share about it or preach about it or talk to your neighbor about it. Sometimes he's just like, hey, Chris Waterman, I love you. You're my best friend. So I'm going to tell you something that's going on in the city. I want to tell you something that's going on in this church. I want to tell you something I'm getting ready to do. Isn't this pretty cool what I'm doing in the kingdom? But if you're anything like me, all of a sudden I'm like, Oh, you mean I'm supposed to do it. I'm going to go start a church. Oh, I'm going to take school. Oh, I'm going to do that. And he's like, mm, I didn't tell you to do any of that stuff. So a lot of times God will reveal things just like he did to Joseph. Sometimes it's timing. Sometimes it's not even for us. Sometimes it's just because he wants to be best friends with us. Later on, the brothers, are, they're ticked off and they're like, do you intend to reign over us? Well, guess what? Joseph has another dream. Listen, he said. I love how he's like. The little brother that's like, listen, everybody, I had another dream. I'm sure they're super excited. And this time the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father and his brothers, of course, even the father was like, dude, are you kidding me? Stop it. Here's the thing about that. People who are in their, their mess will hate you for your attitude in your mess. So if you have joy and you're like, it is well with my soul in the midst of your problem, People that are in their mess, they look at you and they start hating on you saying, what's, what's wrong with you? Why, why are you operating this way? You need to be disgruntled or bitter or resentful just like I am. And so you imagine the brothers. The brother's not receiving the same kind of favor from the father. The brother's not receiving the same kind of download from the father. Immediately, they respond with hatred. Miserable people hate dreamers. Any dreamers in here? Okay. Have you ever had anybody want to douse water in your dreams, Paula? Yeah, absolutely. It happens all the time. So timing of the things that God deposits in our heart and trusted friends of who you reveal those dreams to and God's timing is critically, critically important. So it says that Joseph, of course, he went on to find his brothers. Remember that moment where Joseph's like, I'm going to go find my brothers and they're tending the sheep somewhere and the father sends him out. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan, but they saw him in the distance and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. So they're like, hey, there's our brother Joseph. We should kill him. Like that, like that. There are people who are seeing you in your mess, seeing you stepping out of your mess, seeing you step into your message, seeing you step into your destiny that want to destroy your dreams. Some of those people are actually so-called Christians. Some of them are non-believers. There are vices things that we deal with, things that we struggle, situations that are looking to take us out of our destiny, that are seeing us from, from far off and saying, 
oh, now's the time to plot, to take, to take them out, to keep them in their mess. And in those situations, it's where we need to ask Holy Spirit for discernment and wisdom and situations and circumstances and things he gives us. Say, Father, thank you for what you're showing me. Now give me discernment. If I'm supposed to start this business, who is it supposed to be with? If I'm supposed to take this new job, help me to see the landmines. Help me to see the things that are coming from far off. Discernment is a, in the last couple of weeks, two or three weeks, I should say two or three years, has been a big prayer of mine. Thank God I have a wife who has scary discernment. And I need to trust that more. She sees things coming. Women typically have it anyways. <laughs> Sorry, guys. But, man, if you don't have that, find people in your life and say, hey, I'm getting ready to walk through this. Man, can you pray that God would give me discernment and it would align with what God's showing you? Discernment. So moving on. Let me, of course, say here comes that dreamer. And does anybody know what happens, that, what happens to Joseph? What, what do they do, anybody? Yes. Yeah. So at first they're like, yo, let's, we're going to kill him. We're going to take him out. And then Reuben, the brother, one of the brothers is maybe feeling guilty. Maybe he's the older one. It's like, no, 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 we shouldn't do that. Let's just, let's just toss him to this pit. Then they go off and they start playing games. It's like they're eating, they're playing games, which is scary cold. Like, you, that's, you can know people like that, don't hang out with them. So he's in the pit. Now all of a sudden the Ishmaelites roll up and they're like, oh, man, we should totally sell him and get rid of him. So as they sit down and eat their meal, Judah says to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? So when the midnight merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels over to the Ishmaelites. Here's the thing. When you were bought at a price, people, circumstances, situations can control you, can control your destiny, and control what God has for you. When there's a price that's been put upon your head, and that can look like in different situations, that can look like in different circumstances, that could be a husband that is um, overpowering you and saying, if you don't do these 20 things per day, then you're not going to get this, X, Y, Z, freedom, it could look like, oh, I have a company, and this person is going to write me a $200,000 check. What a gift from God. It may be, but it very well may not be. Be very, very careful. Someone told, a lot of people have told me this. Be very careful who we receive money from, who you take money from, who you receive favors from. Be wise in that. That's where we come back to that discernment. So now Joseph, of course, is sold with price over his head by the Ishmaelites. He was stripped of his coat. He was stripped of his favor. That's what we think because he was in his mess. Let's keep going. So the Lord is with Joseph, of course, as we know. So he's sold to the Ishmaelites, and then he is sold to the house of Potiphar. In Potiphar's house, you would think that he's going to be a slave. He's going to be a lowlife, right? That's what we think. Let's find out what Scripture says. The Lord is with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did. So here's a kid screaming about dreams, the colored coat. He's thrown into a pit. You would think his life is over. Oh, no. Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household. He entrusted his care to everything he owned. Everything. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian. Goes on talking about that everything in his house was blessed. When God anoints you, when God blesses you, 
when there's favor on your life, it is not relegated to one location. It's not relegated to one position. That anointing, that calling, that favor is you. It's upon you. So whether God has called you to lead worship, favor of God. Whether he says, Tim, you know what? I actually want you to be a janitor now. Well, the favor of God is not removed from you. You might become a janitor. You might be singing it is well with your soul while you're cleaning toilets. Somebody walks by and they get wrecked. I've been in a season of, of doing a job that is uh, very unlike any other job I've ever had. I uh, just actually came out of it. Uh, but I was selling um, water and sewer pipe uh, at a company for that for, like, had been around for 40 years. And uh, I didn't know anything about water and sewer. I just knew you flush the toilet and the poop goes somewhere. If I brush my teeth, that literally, I turn on the water. That's all I knew. So I'm walking in, and I'm with these construction guys, and I'm wearing my skinny jeans, and they're like, yeah, you need to get camo, wranglers, and some hiking boots, <laughs> literally. And, uh, but the crazy thing of it was, I mean, I was in my <laughs> crap, my mess, right? Mess season, still in it, but in a mess season. But the favor and the anointing and the calling of my life, didn't, it didn't change, so I would go to these conferences, and we'd be sitting in restaurants, and these, in, in, I know, is anybody an engineer in here? Nobody? Is anybody an engineer? Okay. All right. So engineers are very concrete, usually not a ton of emotion, incredibly bright, smart people, very left brain. Uh, so I was now surrounded by all these engineers. So I'm having this conversation with this guy, and I'm just being me and talking to him, and God opens up this door to really talk about his shyness, and it's not really about shyness, it's really about shame, and it's about the message that he really believes about himself when he's up there speaking, and all of a sudden, in the middle of this restaurant, this engineer just starts crying. He's looking around at people, he's like, dude, this guy is like the people whisperer. Like, he's just unbelievable. How does he even know? But it's just my calling, it's just my anointing, and I just happen to be selling sewer pipe. And the same is, the same is true for you. The same was true for Joseph. Just because all of a sudden, he became an attendant, because of the anointing and the favor that was upon his life, all of a sudden, everything that was in Potiphar's house was blessed. And so know tonight that wherever God calls you, wherever season you are in, whether you are in the biggest mess of your life, God wants to use you right there in that place. So we know that, man, things are going really, really well for Joseph, right? He's just absolutely crushing it. Then comes this woman, Potiphar's wife. She wants some Joseph. She thinks Joseph is the hottest thing ever. Since coming to Egypt, she wants him. She keeps pursuing him, pursuing him. Joseph being a man of integrity. Joseph being a man of favor. Joseph being God's beloved son. It's like, no, 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 no. Running, trying to stay away from her. Every, he goes in the kitchen. There she is. He goes into the bedroom. There she is. Everywhere. There's Potiphar's wife. Finally, she realizes, I'm not going to get Joseph. So she, of course, accuses him of sleeping with her. And now Joseph is thrown into prison. So, of course, we would think Joseph's life is absolutely over. Sometimes your mess, the mess that you're in, it could be tonight, will be a public mess. Sometimes it's a private mess. I would venture to say that this mess with Potiphar's wife was a public mess. Many people knew of the accusation of Joseph's life. And if you live life long enough, there are going to be people that do you wrong. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands because that person might be sitting right next to you. Just kidding. There are going to be people who accuse you. There are going to be people who turn their back on you. There are going to be people who um, mistreat you. It's going, it's going to happen. And what I'm discovering in my life is that that can be one of the most painful circumstances and situations. 
But at the same time, it can also be one of the things that God uses the most in the messy rooms of your life. Because when you want to defend or you want to accuse or you want to retaliate or you want to be that child, like we all want to, I'm going to get you back. I'm going to one-up you, eye for an eye, right? But when you have to learn to live like Jesus and you have to learn to say, no, 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 God, you're my vindication, you're my justification, and you alone are my defense, that's a hard, hard place to live in. And when the worship team was singing It Is Well With My Soul, I was getting tore up because God gave me this picture of Paul and Silas, of Daniel, of Joseph, of all the people we know in the Bible just on their knees singing, singing that song and just their hands out like this. Not doing anything, not moving, not trying to fight a lion, not seeing if these handcuffs will, if I can get, just worshiping. All I can do is praise. All I can do is stay still. And I'm back there saying, Father, everything in me does not want to stay still. Everything in me does not want to worship. I want to fight. I want to pull the black mama, kick off my shoes and fight. Like my mama used to do back in Louisiana. But man, the power of when you can just worship and stay still. And Joseph, at such a young age, he mastered that. So now he's back. Now he's back in prison. Wondering what's going to happen to himself. Christine Kane, who's a dynamic communicator, dynamic woman of God. She's just taken sex trafficking by storm all over this world. She talks about today in this world, everybody has got a phone. And, and because of these, we don't remember how we used to take pictures. I think some of us remember that, right? Back in the day, you had, to, you had like a little roll of film. You pop that bad boy in there. Usually it'd be like orange, or, I mean, yellow or green. And then, and then you, you know, after you take your pictures, you can't really see the pictures. You're just hoping your eyes aren't closed. You're hoping you got the right person in the right frame. And then you'd have to take it and, you know, of course, get it all produced. Well, there are also these things called dark rooms for like really good photographers. And then, you know, you take the film and then you got the little whatever. I don't know what that stuff is, water or whatever they're doing in the dark room. Develop, yeah, thank you, yes. <laughs> Paul is going to take over for this illustration. Uh, but the crazy thing is, is in the dark room, it's dark for a reason so that you can develop the pictures. But Christine Kane was talking about that too many of us, we want to open up the door and we want to move on. That's the development stage. We want to stay, we don't want to stay in the dark room. But the father is like, no, no, I need you to stay in the dark room because I'm developing you. I'm producing this beautiful picture of what you will be. And if you come out too soon, you're going to be premature. You're not going to be able to handle the things that I want to give you. So God, in his infinite wisdom, in his infinite, hold on, sorry, guys. Okay. In his infinite wisdom is saying, Joseph, I've got more for you. Because he, he knows the end game. He knows the end picture. And he knows the end picture is not just being excellent and phenomenal in everything in Potiphar's house. He's got a different house for him down the road. So it goes on to say, that while Joseph was in prison, there are two other men that were in there, and these men were dignified, and they used to be on the staff for Pharaoh, and they had dreams. So they're sharing their dreams, and when Joseph came to him, Joseph came to them, he's like, you guys had dreams? He's like, tell me your dreams. I can interpret them in the name of God. So they share these dreams with Joseph. Joseph is doing his thing. He is anointed 
he is favored by God right there in prison. There's no reward for him to interpret this dream. It's not like, if I interpret this dream, you got to get me up out of here. Right? He's doing his thing. There's this thing that God will do in obscurity in our life. And some of us right, my, right now may feel hidden by God. Like, man, God, I, I don't feel like I matter, that I'm important. Like in this season, what you have me doing doesn't seem like it really, really matters. But it's in those moments of obscurity that God is saying, oh, my son, oh, my daughter, I, I'm, getting you, I'm getting you ready. I'm getting you prepared. So the way that you share this, the gospel right now with one person is preparation because I'm about to give you a street evangelism ministry. The way right now I can trust you to help coach the 80-year-old neighbor and her finances and all she has is $900 in her portfolio is because I'm about to give you a job with Charles Schwab in two years where you're going to be managing 90 million portfolio. But it's the obscure, it's the, who, who, I'm going to help a woman that's 80 years old with her $900. No, I'm going to wait for the big bucks. But it's in the obscurity, it's in those hidden moments that God is developing. He was doing the same thing for Joseph. So we move on. If you guys know the story very well, the third day it was Pharaoh's birthday, and he's just super excited. He's excited, he's excited. He calls up the one guy, the one chief, who had a dream that Joseph interpreted. And that guy, the dream that Joseph interpreted for him was, you're going to be reinstated as the chief in the kingdom, and everything's going to go well for you. And the other guy, he's like, man, tell me my dream. Tell me my dream. He's like, well, actually, uh, you're going to die in three days, and I'm sorry. Sure enough, Pharaoh has a feast. The one guy is exalted. He's back, and they have fist bump. My boy, you're back from prison. Da, 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 da. The other guy, impaled, he dies. Literally impaled. He's gone. The one guy that was reinstated, he's like, hey, Joseph, I'm going to remember you when I get out, and, and I'm going to get you out. Doesn't happen. He forgets. He forgets. When I read this part, I thought about how many times have I said, yeah, God, I'm good here in this prison. Yeah, I'm good here in my mess. I'm good here in this space. But then meanwhile, I'm like, hey, man, can you help me get up out? When you get out of the hole, throw that rope down because I want to get out. So I'm busy, like, orchestrating my way out of this mess. If I make this much money, if I meet the right person, if I do enough jazz hands, and God's going to get me out of this situation. And he's just looking at me like, boy, keep on going. Sometimes, though, he'll let me do it on my own. He'll let me get out of that hole, get out of the prison on my own. And what I've found in my very old age of life is he'll take me right back to the same spot. And I'll get in that prison cell. I'll be like, oh, man, I'm in prison again. Uh. Then I'll look around. I'm like, wait a minute. Those carvings on the wall look familiar. You walk over to the wall. You're like, this is the same cell. Uh. Right? Anybody else know what I'm talking about? And, man, just in my American independence do it your own self. I've tried that over and over again. And the harder the situation is, the more painful it is, the more we want to self-eject. The more I'm like, I am not staying here in this pain. And if I am staying here in this pain, I'm going to self-medicate. You better believe it. Because, I, I, yeah, I'm going to run to you-ish, but I'm going to be over here 
in my prison cell, self-medicating, circumventing the process, circumventing what God wants to do in my life. But Joseph was, he was different than that. He didn't ask those guys to help lift him out. He actually stayed in the process. He stayed in that process. It goes on in chapter 41 to say this, when two days, two months, uh -uh, two years had passed, Pharaoh has a dream. Now, so Joseph has been in prison for two whole years, and, and well before that. So two years. Who knows what Joseph is doing? He's probably interpreting dreams for the chef. He's probably, who knows what he's doing, but he's doing something. So much so because he's ready for his moment. So the chief cupbearer all of a sudden is like, today I'm reminded of my shortcomings. Basically, the interpretation of that is like, uh, duh, I forgot about this cat in prison. So Pharaoh's like, has this dream. The cupbearer's like, oh, yeah, there's this guy in prison. He's, he's, he's Joseph, and he interprets dreams. So Pharaoh brings and calls for Joseph. He was quickly brought from the dungeon. When he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream, and no one can interpret it. But I've heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. I cannot do it, Joseph says. I love this cat. The Pharaoh's like, you can do it. He's like, no, I can't do it. Then he says, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. I love that when the anointing of God takes over your life and your specific purpose in your arena, you'll be able to stand before kings and queens. There will be no fear. And there won't be any fear because God for years and months has done a preparation in your heart to make it not about man's approval, to make it about his approval alone. Because when you're in obscurity and when you're hidden, when you're in the prison, when you are uh, in the pit, the opinions of people no longer need to matter. When you're by yourself and you're shackled by yourself, there's only the audience of one. And so when you stand before 200,000 people, all of a sudden, there's no fear because your opinion and what you can do to me doesn't matter any longer. And that also connects to when you're in the pit and you're prison and you trust God, you know it is well with your soul. You know you're going to be okay because your circumstances are not based upon who others are but who he is. And then here's the other thing I love about this part is for Joseph, there was no distinction between a prisoner or Pharaoh. He didn't change his tune. He didn't change his approach because, oh, now all of a sudden I'm in front of the almighty Pharaoh. No, he was exactly the same person. And I think before, when we stand before the Father, no, I know it. He's not going to say, Jane, hmm, I love the way that you sang so much better in front of those 3,000 people at the stadium. No, he's probably actually going to have a whole lot more to say about this and your faithfulness and how you treated this the exact same way with 20 people, whether it was 20,000 people. That's what he's going to say to you. And so the Father is looking for those who are faithful who have no distinction between people. Pharaoh, here's the interpretation, and if you know anything about the story, you know that Joseph is like, there's going to be seven years of abundance. Like, this place is going to blow up. It's going to be amazing. Like, oh, it's going to just be so flowing with milk and honey. It's going to be great. But then, you remember those seven, like, skinny cows that ate the fat cows? Yeah, those are seven years of famine that are coming. So you know Pharaoh's like, oh, my goodness, this is crazy. 
and he's thinking to himself, who in the world can help me manage this? He's turning to people who can help me manage this. And then he looks at Joseph, and he's like, hey, what about you? And so Pharaoh says to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one discerning and as wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace. And all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. Here's the point I want to bring out here. Joseph was being who God called him to be. Just like I said earlier, it didn't matter what the audience was, prisoner or pharaoh. He didn't know. He didn't know that this was going to be his moment. He was just being obedient to the, to the father. And for many of us, you may be in a two-year process. You may be in a two-month process. We don't know. You don't know that right around the corner may be your breakthrough that Paula just prayed for. Some of us could, be, could have been standing up there and our breakthrough, you even prayed, like it could be coming tonight. All of a sudden, in the blink of an eye, Joseph goes from jacked up prisoner to he is running everything. He actually gets the Pharaoh's signet ring. And Pharaoh's like, there will be no difference between my authority and yours except that I just sit on the throne. That's it. Joseph is now, in two minutes, running everything. You never know when your mess is about to turn into the moment that leads to your message. You never know when God is about to promote you, when you go from probation to promotion. And I think God is just waiting up in heaven for like, okay, ooh, they're so close. They're so ready. They've been so faithful. Now go, angels, go, 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 go. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't think he's up there like, oh, my gosh, this is taking forever. When is it ever going to? I think he is just like so, like, right? Like us as parents, like when the, the day, the, it's Christmas Day, Christmas Day, our kids come running down. We're excited. I think he's just excited for our Christmas Day. He's just excited for your moment where the mess turns into your message. We're almost done. Just want to skip ahead here a little bit. So the, the brothers, remember them, right? The brothers. The famine ha starts happening, and everybody starts running out of food. The brothers are like, wait a minute. We, we know that Egypt, like great things are happening there. We, sh we should go, and we should get food for the family. So the brothers all leave. They pack up their stuff, and they come before the gentleman that is in charge of all of the food. And, of course, we know that that is Joseph. They don't recognize Joseph. They believe Joseph is dead. But Joseph is not dead. Joseph is very much alive, and he is running things. Joseph knows who they are. They don't recognize who Joseph is. And so here we pick up this the part of the story. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. Then he remembered his dreams about them and said to them, I love you. Yeah. He said, you are spies. You've come to see where our land is unprotected. So he immediately responds with this like response of like, ugh, which we know later on is all part of a, a test. But I have to think that part of his emotions and part of his junk and part of his mess is still within him. And there's different processes. There's different, different times of the journey that God allows us to process even more in our life. We, we like to think that, hey, when I'm out of my mess, I'm done with it. No, no, God will say, hey, there's actually a little bit more that I want to bring up. You know, you thought you forgave that person, and this literally just happened to me last week. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I'm good. I'm, I've been speaking to the kids about forgiveness. 
Then all of a sudden, I go to a birthday party. And, uh, uh, I'm, here's the gift, and I'm out of here. Three days later, I'm processing with a friend, and he's such a good friend. He's like, hey, I was there, and I was watching, and I was just curious, how was your heart? I'm like, what do you mean, how was my heart? It was good. And then I think I've told you guys that God speaks to me in Chris Rock voice. Have I ever told you this? Oh, yeah. When he's serious with me, he talks a little ghetto, a little Chris Rock. And then my friend, he knows this about me. He's like, well, what do you think Chris Rock Jesus would say? And then Chris Rock Jesus is like, you ain't forgiving nobody. I'm like, oh, you're right, Chris Rock Jesus. But he brought it back up. So I, I wonder, for part of your test within this process, Will we extend grace and forgiveness in those situations when the people that put us in the pit, the people that put us in prison, that, yeah, God used as instruments, but will we extend grace and forgiveness to them? What kind of level of restraint? Because here's the thing. When you're in a small position and in your mess, it's easy to be a toddler and have a fit and scream and yell and all that. But when God promotes you to the palace, there's a high, high level of responsibility high level of restraint. Business owner, part of a business, have you ever owned businesses? Never? Okay. You have employees, right? Okay. There's a big difference when you are doing something by yourself and then you have employees. There's certain ways you can talk to employees and certain ways you can't. And the higher level you get, the higher skills and the higher level of restraint. And just because I'm upset with Susie because she's talking too much around the water cooler, I can't just go off on Susie. So I wonder, the level of restraint, the extension of grace and forgiveness that God is working on us here, what does it look like when he gets you into the palace? Five more minutes. So we know the end of the story. Joseph tests the brothers, right? He ultimately, he tests them a couple of times. Ultimately, they come back, he puts silver in their sacks, but then he puts his silver goblet in the sack of Benjamin, the youngest. And then they take off and they're going back to their father Jacob and they're super excited because now they have food. But then Joseph sends the attendant chasing after them and they're like, hold up, wait a minute. Something is missing from Pharaoh, from Joseph and we need to check your sacks. And they're like, no, be it not it. It's not us. Blah, blah, blah. Of course he knows it's Benjamin's. He saves him for last, opens it up. You guys are busted. They come back to the palace. Joseph is there waiting for them. And they scream and yell, no, put us in prison. Do not, do not take him. And Joseph then reveals, I am your, your brother. And there's this incredible moment of healing, incredible moment. That's the end of the story. There's 99 problems <laughs> that happen all the way up to that. And all of those problems, all of those things are part of the pruning process. And tonight, you might be in a spot where God is pruning you. Pruning is a painful process. When you prune a bush, it looks ugly. That bush is like, ugh. But after the pruning is done, that bush is more fruitful. It's more beautiful. The pruning process is not fun, but it's necessary for God to get us where he wants us to be. The mess that we're sitting in is not fun. But if we want to look more like Jesus, and I'll tell you guys, I sing the songs and I surrender all, which is so cute to sing and say until it's the moment where the father's like, do you really want to look like me? And if you really want to look like me, there's no shortcutting this. And here's the other thing that he's teaching me. 
And I'm sure he was teaching Joseph this in the pit, in the prison, and he probably got it way better than I did. Is when he was in the pit, when he was in prison, when he was, when he was in his mess, the people that put him there, I bet you he looked at them and said, you know what? Jesus loves them. The Father loves them just as much as he loves me. Which when you are being wronged, when people are evil to you, it is incredibly difficult to believe that. And when I came into my situation last Saturday, and I thought I was all right for three days, and my friend talked to me about that, there was all of a sudden this huge realization that I was making that moment all about me. Don't they understand what they did to me? Don't they understand how much my family has been hurt? And I heard God say, what if that had nothing to do with you and I'm bringing healing to their hearts? Oh, I've never thought about that. I thought the whole world was about me. Thank you, Father, for showing me that. Thank you for showing me that you have a destiny and purpose for their life and for mine. And that nothing, once again, your prayer, nothing is wasted in God. Nothing. And if I believe that nothing is wasted, then the pain that we walk through, the process that we're walking through, the messiness of life is not something to run from. It's actually something to run to. It's actually something to say, man, let's accelerate what God wants to do in our hearts. Let's accelerate what he wants to do in our life. So yes, I will stay still because man, if I start moving around and start trying to figure this out, it's going to take a lot longer. So Go ahead, God. Start cutting away. Let's start the surgery now. Go ahead. Let's get some anesthesia. Come on. Let's get this thing. Let's get this thing popping. That's where we really want to be at in our life is saying, I believe so much in the promises that you've said here that I'm not going to circumvent the process to get me to the promotion of where you want to take my life. Jesus, and we'll end with this, was radical. We've heard these, these terms, radical Jesus. You know why they hated him so much? Not because he had this, you know, great, like he was a great speaker and he was on the Sea of Galilee and disrupting things and and all of that. And yeah, they didn't really like that he was healing people. What they didn't like is that he sat with sinners. What they didn't like is here's this guy who calls himself the Messiah, yet is hanging around with tax collectors. What they didn't like is the local adulterer that everybody knows she's an adulterer, that he's bending down in dirt and drawing things, probably names of the guys that were, you know, hooking up with her, and then, like, loving on people at the well in the middle of the day. Who is this crazy guy? And what he did was he sat with people in their mess. And if you remember that the woman at the well, huge mess, over five men you've been with, and the one you're currently with right now is not even your husband, after she encountered the father in her mess, she turned and ran to the city with a message. So tonight I wonder, what is your message? What is God developing in you? What is God preparing you for? What is the palace that he's getting you ready for? But we can't self-eject right now. We've got to stay in the process and stay with him in it. Let's pray. Jesus, we need you in the messes of our life, in the messes of our situation, in the messes of our relationships. We need your presence. We need your words. We need your comfort. We need your peace. We need your guidance. We need your strength. 
We need your self-control. So God, I pray for all of us, no matter where we are, what circumstance or situation, that you would that we would see you sitting with us in the jail cell. We would see you sitting with us in the muck of life, that we would see you sitting with us in the, in the garbage that we are right now embracing in our lives. I pray, Father, for incredible, incredible discernment. I pray that we would not pull out, that we would not uh, uh, band-aid, that we would not run to medicate but that you would be our medication, that you would be our saving grace, that you would be our object of worship. Lord, I pray that we would want the giver and not the gift, that we would want you and not the final destination, that we would want you enough in the process that if the destination never happens, you are enough. I pray that for myself, Father. I pray, Father, for a spirit and a heart that says, Though you may have put me in the pit, though you may have put me in prison, I know Jesus loves you just as much as he loves me. And I, I pray, God, for just this, uh, for us to get supernaturally your heart that you have for us and your heart that you have for others in our process, in our mess. We do say yes to you work out all things for those who love you. And we say yes to those promises. Even though we may not yet see them, we hold on to them with faith. We hold on to them with all that is within us. God, I thank you for this church that is, does such a great job at sitting with all of us in our mess. Bring more people with this heart, Father, that will be patient where we are in our process, knowing that that's your heart for us as well. We give you our pain. We give you our hardships. And we say, even though it's difficult, prune us, Father. Prune us back so that we may, may be more fruitful for you, more fruitful for others, and more fruitful in our lives. In your name we pray. Amen.